listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So last week we saw John bring up this uh, issue of false teachers or false witnesses or false prophets, and he gave us three tests that we should be that they were to use back then that we even need to be using today of people. And I told you this is something you need to be searching and watching for anybody that would stand up and open God's word. And the first one he told us the test was do they confess the true Jesus? And we talked about the, the importance of the incarnation of Jesus. Was God's son, he came, was 100% God and also 100% man. And these two truths must work together, the incarnation that Jesus became flesh. The second test was do they possess the divine life? Is there evidence of the spirit living and working through them? Then the last one was, do they profess, do they follow the true, the divine truth of true doctrine? And so as the page turns, so to speak, these next 15 verses is what John most wants to say. Everything he has been writing has been building to this moment in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. And everything will flow out of it to First and Second, Third John, to the books that he will write. Everything is leading up to this point. In fact, if John was showed up that morning to read it to those churches, I believe that this moment his voice might get a bit louder. He gets a little bit more sided, a little bit more passionate, because everything is leading to this section. And so, in fact, it it is all about in fifteen verses. I think John would say, if you grasp anything from my letter, let it be this. Because in 15 verses, 27 times, and I went back and triple checked because one day I got proven wrong by Caleb Wright. I did. I made sure it's 27 times. John uses the word love. And this is what John has been building to. 27 times in 15 verses. He's going to talk about the idea of love. But here's what is interesting about love. That's kind of different than a lot of subjects or things in our lives. Love is one of these things. That it cannot be understood. And now go and do it. There's a lot of things that we do that, man, you can read a book, you can watch a bunch of YouTube videos, you can gain a lot of understanding, and then you go and do it. Well, love is different because love is something that you cannot fully or truly understand just by searching for it. It must be practiced. That's how we understand it is by practicing this thing John's been telling us about. So I wonder, do you have someone that you know? Maybe somebody currently, maybe somebody in your past. When you hear the idea, you hear the issue of love, this person just kind of pops into your head. I mean, somebody that just has that about them. You see this, this true love. They're unconditional in it. They're, they're supportive. They're, they're encouraging. Do you have someone 
that when you think of somebody that is really, truly loving, this is the person that you think of. Well, for me, I thought about several. For maybe for you, it was a parent, a grandparent, a neighbor. But I had several I thought through. It was kind of big moments of my life. One was being back in Ozark, Arkansas. A guy I've mentioned several times named Jim Young. Jim Young was this, in my eyes, old dairy farmer. He had a horrible haircut. It was ugly. Big, dark-rimmed glasses, leathered skin. But to a sixth-grade boy that was troubled and uninterested in anything else, man, Jim was faithful. He never allowed my pushback of this doesn't matter, I don't care, that, that Jim was somebody that truly, I look back and go, that's a person that loved. Going to Henderson, there's a lady named Bess Nelson. Um, she was a lady because we didn't have family around, and she always made sure that my family had a place at her table. If she knew we were not going back to Arkansas for holidays, she had us at her home. I watched her kind of mother my dad uh, in a way, and sometimes very humorous. She would tell him how it is sometimes. Uh, but Bess Nelson is a person I think of that truly loved. Moving to Bethel, the trifecta that we refer to in Marla's laughing as Paula, Donna, and Kay. Uh, it's these three ladies in our life, especially watching them. Paula was this lady that would tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. But she would do it in a very loving way. At least it was always motivated that way. Donna took such an investment in our oldest daughter, Kylie, taking her to do things and, and having her over to her home and even having her spend the night. And then there was Kay that just always had this sense about her. She always just knew when to call and ask Marla to go to lunch. And so there are people that I think of when I think about this idea of love. But I want to tell you about a little boy named Chad. Chad, um, Chad was this kid that everybody kind of knows a Chad in a way. Chad was shy. Um, he was quiet. Kind of always stayed to himself. And one day Chad was coming home talking to his mother and Valentine's Day was rolling around. He went to his mom. He said, Mom, I, wanna, I want to make everyone in my class a Valentine's card. Well, most parents would be excited, but not Chad's mother. You know, Chad's mother, her heart kind of sank, and she just thought, oh, I wish. I wish he didn't want to do that. It's because she had watched the children. They lived real close to the school. She watched the kids walk home every day after school. And, you know, the bell rings, and kids let out, and they grab their backpacks, and they're headed home. And everybody's joking, and they're laughing, and they're hanging on each other and talking about what they're going to do the rest of the evening or that weekend. And every day, here would be Chad following everybody from behind, completely unengaged. But reluctantly, she decided to go along with this plan. And so she gets all the supplies together because Chad, he didn't want to just get some of those cards you buy the package of and you write their name on it and you give it to him. Chad wanted to make everyone in his class a personal Valentine's card. Well, Valentine's Day came and Chad woke up just frantic with excitement. He couldn't wait. So he took all those cards and he put them in, a, in an envelope and put them in his bag. But his mom is preparing for the disappointment that will come that afternoon. You know, it hurt her to think 
that he probably wouldn't get many Valentines and maybe not any at all. So she did the only thing that she knew how to do is she baked his favorite cookies. All afternoon she waited for that bell to ring. And as it got closer and closer, she set out those fresh homemade favorite cookies for Chad and some milk. At the end of today, I'll tell you what happens with Chad because I want to first of all show us what I believe John is laying out about eight characteristics of love. But you can't study it. You can't memorize a bunch of scripture about it to truly understand love. You cannot fully understand it unless we practice or we live it. So let's look at verse 1. And here's the first thing. I see eight characteristics of love. The first one is this. I would say it's love is personified. In verse 7 he says, Beloved, let us love one another. The first mention of that word. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so in fact, this idea of love personified, what God has done through John is he gives us two reasons that we are actually called, we're, we're commanded to love. First thing he shows us is that love, it doesn't have its source in us. That God is the source of love. It's like light that you see radiates out from the sun. This love is something that radiates out from God's character. And here's why this is so important for us. If love starts with God, that it begins in his nature, that means that God's love for you and God's love for me, it is not based on how good you are. It isn't based on, do I have something good inside of me? God doesn't say, I love you if, or I love you even because. And who doesn't like to hear those things? This is why I love you. But God's love does not have anything to do with something that is in us to make God love us. Meaning that God's love is motivated by who he is, not by who you are. Because it has its source in him. The second thing I think we're commanded to love, he shows us that whoever loves, it's evidence, it's proof of who you actually belong to. In fact, he says, whoever loves has been, past tense, born again and knows God. That God's love produces this radical change in people. It changes our identity and who we belong to. There's a second thing about love John wants us to see I said it this way, it's love is proven. Look at verse 9. And this is the love of God. It was made manifest. It, it was made visible. It was shown among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this, he says, is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So he says this is the idea. It's made manifest. It shows up. It makes it visible. That John is showing us the, this greatness of God's love. He breaks it down in five 
different ways. Because look at what it says. It says, God sent. And this is so important. It's because God's love caused him. Not the love we have for him, but who he is. It caused God to initiate the greatest rescue mission the world has ever experienced. But here's what is so unique about this is that usually, usually when something happens and you bump into someone, usually you're the one and your parents taught you to stop and say, oh, I'm sorry, or, or excuse me. Or you say something that hurts someone's feelings. You're the one that offended. You're the one that's supposed to initiate this thing of kind of reconciliation. But here, God is the one that has been offended, or even more than that, it's God that has been sinned against. And God is the one that initiates the reconciliation that God sent. But look at the second way he makes his love visible. It says his only son, that God's love, God's love caused him to send his precious, his only son. What is so valuable about that is that oftentimes love is measured by what you would be willing to sacrifice or to give up for it or to even maintain it. You think about our ideas and how our lives now revolve around a phone. It's almost like we can't live without one for a day. And so love isn't based on just what you're willing to spend on something, but what you're willing to give up once you've had it. But God sent his son. His love caused him to send the greatest sacrifice to show the greatest love. But the third thing it shows us in God showing us his love is that so that we might live through him. That God's love reveals his purpose in sending his son. Is that it isn't just to save us, to give us some uh, insurance out of hell. It's to save us that we might live now and then through all eternity, it says, through him. But there's a fourth thing. Notice what it says, in this love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That God's love originates again with God, not us. Meaning that way it's not based on my performance or how well I'm doing or because I'm a little better than someone else. His love is based because he first loved us. But it's this fifth one. He closes out these verses to say why he did it. To be a propitiation for our sins. Remember, we've talked about this word before. It's not a word we often use. In fact, I don't think you've used it in the past probably 7 or 14 days. It's a word that we've talked about. So God's love is shown by its cost. That God didn't just send his son to be a good example to follow, even though he is. He didn't send his son to, to be a good teacher, even though he was. God sent his son to endure the wrath, the punishment for sins that were not his sons. Scripture tells us that Jesus took our sins as if they were his own and sacrificed God's punishment, his wrath for sins. And that's describing the atonement that we've talked about before, the heartbeat of our Christian faith. And I believe when a person can grasp that, of what has actually been done, not that Jesus died on the cross, but that Jesus died on the cross for me. 
It wasn't just that he died on the cross for me, but he died because of me. That it was because of my sins that he is there and he is taking my sins as if they were his own. If we can grasp that, I believe it changes everything about us. So being a kid, I grew up loving baseball. Baseball was my sport. I couldn't sit still for anything, but I could sit down and watch a baseball game. I loved baseball. I would beg my parents to get me to the game early, to let me stay late, uh, that I could play cup ball before and after my game. Loved baseball. I was a kid that did not like to read. But every time we went to the library, I would always look for a book about some baseball player. I mean, I grew up watching guys like Wade Boggs and Nolan Ryan and Mike Schmidt and Cal Ripken Jr. And so I would read only things about baseball. Well, this week, thinking through this idea, this thing of love, it got me talking about the, or thinking about the great Ty Cobb. Uh, the guy, Tyrus Raymond Cobb, um, 22 seasons with the Detroit Tigers. If you grew up at all watching baseball, you've heard the name uh, Ty Cobb. In fact, do you know, remember his nickname? It was the Georgia Peach, which I'll explain why that was not a very fitting name for Ty Cobb. But he set 90 records during his career. A 367 batting average, almost 4,200 hits, almost 900 stolen bases. In fact, he won 11 batting titles, nine in a row. But you know what he was also known as? He was known as the meanest person in baseball. In fact, Ty Cobb, he would win at any cost. He would humiliate, he would insult, and even injure other people in order to win. In fact, he was so horrible to be around. Even at one time, his own teammates rooted against him when he was in a race for a batting title. This is how people saw him. He was known to throw out racial slurs. Three wives, all whom said he verbally and physically abused them. But many people even tried to kind of get through to Ty Cobb. But many people, including guys like Ted Williams, completely failed in that. Well, early on, he uh, was smart enough and he invested in Coca-Cola. And so Ty Cobb uh, retired uh, a very, very wealthy man. Well, tie to me is this picture of the total depravity that we all experience. He's a man that's got everything the world could probably offer him. We look at that and think, man, look at all the success he has. He had all the money he wants, but he was selfish to the core, and no one wanted to be around him. But here's the good news. Here's where the story doesn't end. Not long before he died, there's a man named John Richardson. He was a Presbyterian minister. He goes to sit and to see Ty Cobb because he's coming to the end of his life. But on their first visit, Ty would not listen to anything he said and told him to leave. That Presbyterian minister wouldn't have it that way. So two days later, he comes back and visits with Ty Cobb again. And this time... He listened to this Presbyterian minister share with him the truth about Christ and salvation. John Richards tells us about hearing of Christ's love for sinners and how Jesus came to die for the likes of him. 
He wrote that Ty was overcome with emotion. He says, I went on to talk more and more with Mr. Cobb about repentance and forgiveness that is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, after several hours, Ty told that preacher, he says, I believe I'm ready to repent and to put my complete trust in Jesus Christ. Two days later, Ty Cobb dies. But the day before he died, he told that Presbyterian minister, he says, I feel the strong arms of God around me. I share that to show us that there is no one, there is not a single person that has ever sinned themselves beyond the reach of God's love. And that includes me. And it includes you. There's a third thing. John's not done. He says, love is completed because look at verse 11. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, let's just entertain for a moment that is true, that we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And John is saying that no one can physically see God. We can't use our eyes and to see him. But when those people that have their lives changed by who Jesus was and who he is, they're changed and things begin working differently in their life. But when those changed by God's love, he tells us then love others, even those that are hard to love. He says, you're painting a picture of who God really is. That when God's love flows through us to others, he says it has an intended goal. That's when he says it is perfected in us. That God's love that he gives to us to show others, it has an intended goal. And when we love others, it's finally reaching that. But there's a fourth thing. He says, love is spirit-empowered because John seems to do this often. When he tells us something to do, he wants to make sure we always know this in verses 13 through 15. By this we know that we abide in him and him in us. Once again, that assurance, that confidence because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in Him and Him in God. And so I look back, the reason Bess Nelson or Paula Don and Kay were the way they are, the reason I'm thinking of them now, is because it wasn't just something special in them. It was the Spirit that they had that then lived through them and came out in what they did. It was Spirit-empowered love. But there's a fifth thing. Love builds confidence. Look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. That God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is also are in we that are in this world. 
So two important things to note here about this idea. John brings up once again this day of judgment. That there is coming a day that everyone will stand before God and everyone will make an account for their life. John previously has told us there will be two responses for believers in this judgment. One, we will either shrink back in shame of all the missed opportunities and all the ways that we have missed it. Or we will stand there with a great confidence, not in who we are, but because of Christ working in us. John once again reminds us that that day is coming. But the other thing to note is he brings this up again about love being perfected. That, that God's love that he gives to us, that we're to show to others, God puts in it kind of this intended goal, intended goal that he wants it to accomplish. And so I wrote it this way. What God began and launched through Jesus... He wants to complete in and through us. That our love for others reveals God's love to the world. So let me ask you then. What is the picture that your life is painting to those around you of who God really is? By the way we interact in this place and in our families and the places we work or standing in a grocery line or at a, frustrated at a ball field, whatever it might be, whatever we are doing, by how we treat other people, whether it's in person or online, it is always painting a picture of who God is. But now there's a sixth thing that love does. It casts out fear. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Because you know the one thing that will destroy almost any relationship, even besides trust, it's the idea of fear. If you have a secure relationship, fear is something that will absolutely destroy it. Because if you're in a relationship with somebody and you fear being rejected or you have a fear of being able to open up, there's a fear because you're afraid of something you might do and you can't be completely honest or open with someone. Fear can destroy any relationship. But how many times has John showed us that we don't have to fear? And remember the reason? It's because God knows everything about you. He knows every thought. He knows every deed. He knows every attitude. God knows everything about you. And John says that is good. That's because you don't have to fear. And it's because through Christ, we are completely and truly accepted. Did you know you never have to fear God rejecting you? Because he accepted Jesus in your behalf. You never have to fear God punishing you because he punished Christ instead of you. But there's a seventh thing in verse 19. I would say love is contagious. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he says, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he is, who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Because I've thought about how we would answer this. Is 
What's harder, to love God or love people? I think for most of us, we would say it's a lot harder to love people because I'm a people and I know how hard I am to love sometimes. And sometimes you're hard to love. That we would say it's harder to love people, but it's easier to love God. But I think John is saying it's almost should be just the opposite. They almost, it's hard to love God because we can't see him. But the people we do see, we should love. And God, John is once again saying that our love for God is seen in how we love and we treat one another. If we say we love God, but we don't love our neighbor, we don't love our brother, he calls us a liar. But there's one final thing about love. Love is something as believers, it's, it's, it's not left in this gray area, but hey, do this if it feels good, do this if, if you like it, do this if it's comfortable, do this if it's easy, do this if you have time. Love is commanded. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That we cannot separate love for God and love for others. John has showed us over and over again. It's the same side or different sides of the same coin. That you cannot separate your love for God and love for others. The two come together. And so this morning, I do hope you have someone. As you think about the idea of love. That you have somebody that you think of. You have somebody that was in your life that God used in a way that you think, man, that is somebody that loved well. And I also hope that one day that you and I get the end of our time here on earth. And somebody has asked that question. And somebody is talking about love. And they ask, man, who is somebody that you think about when you hear this about love? And that you or I are who pop into their mind. And so I want to tell you what happens with Chad. That afternoon, Chad's mother stood at the door. She soon heard the voices of the children kind of coming down the street. Like every day, she could see these kids. They were laughing. They were joking. They were talking about all the Valentines they had and all the candy they had collected. They were in the best time. But as usual... There was Chad in the rear, all alone. But today he was walking just a little bit faster. She fully expected him to finally get to the door and just burst into tears. As soon as he got there, trying to hold him in all day long and where he just couldn't hold it in any longer. And as she saw him get closer she noticed that his arms were empty. And she choked back the tears. And she said with as much love as she could, Honey, guess what? I have some warm cookies and milk for you. But Chad hardly heard a word. He just marched right on by his mother. And all he could say was not a one. Not a one. In his mother's heart, it just sank. But then she heard Chad say, I didn't forget a one, 
Not a single one. You see, Chad was in this for what he could do for others, not what they would do for him. And this is the love that God has for us, that he did not forget a single one of us when he sent his son. And I pray that would be us, that we would be people that are in this, not for what people can do for me. I am in this for others, that I will love them well as God has loved me. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.